The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WNKV. And now your host, Vina Jones-Cops. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today we got something for the rehabbers out there. I guess, in a sense, we're all rehabbers, whether we're in the real estate business professionally or just own a home of our own. Before we get to that couple of housekeeping announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meets tomorrow night. That's Thursday. And uh, the topic is understanding tenant landlord law. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yawn. Except that if you don't understand it, you are going to find yourself in a heap of trouble with your rental properties. Um, Speaker for that meeting is Chris Finney, who's a local attorney who uh, works a lot with tenant and landlord law, evictions, etc. So if you are a landlord or are contemplating being one, better get to that meeting. The early meeting is How My Business Runs with Jerry Fink, past president of the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, who's going to talk about the staffing, the software, the systems that run his rehab rental business. That's the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. More information at CincinnatiRIA.com or at 859-292-RIA. That's 859-292-7342. My guest today is Pete Youngs, who is a rehabber of decades and who is also a nationally known expert on the topic of how to rehab both rentals and resale properties. He's from the Atlanta, Georgia area. He's the author of a number of home study courses and seminars, and he's joining us today by phone from Atlanta. Pete, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vena. How you doing? Doing just great, Pete. Love, great. The, love the accent. Love the accent. <laughs> we don't, we don't, yeah. We don't, get enough, we don't get enough Southern accents here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. <laughs> I want to remind folks that uh, they can call in with any of their rehab questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or can also send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com and sending us an email. We'll get it here in the studio. Just make sure that you do that sooner rather than later because we've been having issues the last couple of weeks where I get like five emails 10 minutes after the show is over. So if you got any questions about rehabbing, askvina at gmail.com right now would be a good time to send that on over here. Now, Pete, how, how did it happen that you got into the rehab business? Well, when I was in high school, they had a program that if you had a job, they'd let you out at noon and you'd get school credit. Well, the only job that I could get at that particular time was I got a job painting apartments at a local apartment complex, and there was some guy who would spray with a paint sprayer the, the walls and the ceilings and the closets, and me and another guy would end up cutting in the doors and windows, and a couple of girls would come behind us and actually would um, clean up the showers and the kitchens and, and bathrooms and stuff. And I ended up talking to one of the leasing agents there and found out how much they were paying per apartment to be done. 
and I knew how to spray with a paint spray gun and everything. So I talked to the other people in the crew, and they said that they would come to work for me if I'd give them a, a couple more dollars per hour. And I went and offered to do the apartments for half the price of what the major contractor was charging and that they'd still get the same people doing it. And so they gave me that apartment complex, and I went full-time and uh, started a painting and remodeling company uh, back in 1979. So it's been about 30 years that I've been a contractor. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in 1986, my brother Tony, uh, he is a national foreclosure speaker, and he ended up buying somebody's books and tapes off of TV, and he ended up um, bringing me in. He would find the properties, I would fix them up, and we would refinance them or resell them. So that's basically, in a nutshell, how I got started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you you actually um, have also been in the business of rehabbing houses for resale and rental and so on. So as a as a as a side issue to the fact that you're <laughs> investing in real estate uh, for a lot of years, I, I, I'm sure that uh, many of the folks listening are curious, as they are with all of our experts here, as to how your business has changed in the last couple of years since the market has slowed down so enormously. Well, it really has changed a lot. I have done several hundred single-family or multifamily homes nationwide, and basically what I used to do, Vina, is I was pretty much a flipper. I would flip just about everything. Um, when we first got started, uh, me and my brother ended up holding enough properties that we felt like if we ended up keeping these for 15 years and, and they would be paid for, uh, if we were to keep them rented out. And so we figured that that would be, you know, a pretty good retirement plan. So I started flipping all the properties instead of instead of holding them. Now I've found that I am holding properties a little bit more than, than I would normally do. So I have found that I am buying and holding the majority of my properties. But here's the good thing. I basically, since I can get the rehab done, from a general contractor's point of view, what we do is we get somebody to agree to pay X amount of dollars. Let's use round figures and say $20,000 to rehab a house. And then we end up getting them to sign a contract with us as general contractors. And we turn around and hire the work out to subcontractors or other hourly workers and we just oversee the job, and we pocket about 50% of the money that was charged to do it, and we don't even do the work. We, we basically subcontract it out. So what I try and do is I try and give people techniques that they can use so that they can end up acting almost as if they were the general contractor. I teach people basically how they hire it out themselves, and they save about 50% of the going contractor cost. Then that way... If you can save about $10,000 on your average rehab cost, then you can sell your property for about $10,000 less than the market that, the, than what the market's charging right now, and you will be able to flip your properties and still make the same amount of profit. You're just not making, uh, you're not spending as much on the rehab, and you're saving that money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that's a that's a little bit of a different um, uh, strategy than what some folks are out there teaching or doing. Uh, many times what we hear is just get the general contractor and don't worry about hiring all these subs. And uh, what, other than the cost savings, which is fairly significant, obviously, um, what, what argument do you have for these people who are saying get the GC and let somebody else do all the work? 
Well, the big thing is, is if you know just a little bit more, if you took a little bit more time and just got a little bit more involved, I'm not looking for people to do the work themselves, and I'm not looking for them just to throw a check at everything because you're leaving a lot of money on the table. If you, could, if you knew just a few basics on, on basically how and where to get lower-cost labor and just went and, and did that, then you would actually save uh, or, or actually make more profit off of every deal. You could at least sweeten every deal by about $5,000 or so. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that you're looking for painters, and, and basically uh, let's take the word painter and replace it with any trade there is, drywaller, roofer, electrician, plumber, but I'll just give you the technique that I end up uh, using. If I want to find somebody and get them to do it for a discount, then what I'll do is instead of looking up painters in the yellow pages or drywallers, roofers, whatever, then I will look under paint supplies, the people that supply the, the materials. And I will see several different companies named there, most of them national names that you'd all know. And I would end up basically going to that particular paint store during the hours of 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the morning because those are the busiest hours that they have. And I would stand over there by the coffee pot and with a, with a dozen donuts, and all these contractors are going to come in looking to get their materials at an early time in the morning, and that's when I would approach these people. There's going to be 40 or 50 of them within the hour that are going to come through there trying to pick up materials, and every single person in that store does exactly what you're looking to hire. So I would be in there with, with business cards and some donuts, and I would start a conversation with these people, and I'd come face-to-face -face with 15 or 20 of these people and talk to them about coming and giving me an estimate for my job. Now, surely it's going to take, you know, an hour of your time, but you know what, just talking to those, those several contractors right there on the spot all at one time, I am going to be able to create a, a significant discount just because I'm not waiting for them to come to me individually. I'm going to where they're at, and they know good and well that every person in that store does what I'm looking to hire, so they're going to bid more competitively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have, uh, we're not even going to have time to, to kind of touch on a lot of these tips that you have that you, uh, that you tell right. the people uh, who, who take your courses and so on. But um, the, the, the whole issue of contractors, as you probably know, is a huge one for every rehabber. I don't, I don't care if right. you've been in the business two weeks or 20 years. The, the, the process of finding and keeping good affordable contractors who don't eventually self-destruct you know is right is exactly. just, it's it's an ongoing issue and uh, of course the reason that you go to these places at eight in the morning is because the guy who shows up at noon um didn't right. have work <laughs> that that day or you know is 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 sort of lazy <laughs> you know is yeah you know, <laughs> yeah that that's correct um you you don't want you want the you want the early bird is what you're looking for. Uh, somebody that gets out there and starts early has a good work ethic. Um, basically, uh, they're they're going. By the way, since you're there at the actual store that sells the materials to these contractors, once you end up getting a list of these contractors or their business cards that you talk to, once they end up leaving, then you can have a conversation with the person working behind the counter at the material suppliers and ask them if they know these people and would they recommend them. So you be you basically want to do stuff like that. Now, I end up doing um, 
where I find most of my low-cost labor is basically the material suppliers, you know, would, would be the paint stores, the, the drywall supply houses, the roofing supply houses and stuff. And also, Vena, what I do is I travel around in new neighborhoods that are being built because every single person that's working on one of those new houses for a builder, every one of those people's looking for side work. They want weekend work because they can make enough on a weekend that they normally have to spend all week working for a builder. Now that's going to give us and your listeners a great big discount because they're looking for side work. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I took the time and the energy to look in the yellow pages under um, let's say seamless aluminum gutters, and I found a place that made seamless aluminum gutters, and I called them up and says, "How much does contractor cost for seamless aluminum gutters?" And they would say basically a dollar and ten cents a foot. And so I'd say, okay, and I would have gotten some free estimates on getting my gutters done. And they would have told me on the estimates how much material, how much gutter needs to be bought and downspout. So I would have those figures in there. And based on what I know, then the average cost is about $5 per linear foot. So that's about $800 for the average house that's got gutters and downspouts. Now, if I was to end up calling uh, this these material supply houses, the ones that for seamless aluminum gutters, and I can get it for a dollar ten a linear foot, then I would end up having that made and I'd have it delivered to the job. If I was to drive around a brand new neighborhood that was being built and I looked drove around until I found somebody putting up gutters and downspouts, then I would get out of my car and I would go over and talk to them and say, Hey, would y'all like to make a hundred dollars a piece on your way home from work? And there's normally two people used to put up gutters because I know it's going to take them about an hour to, for each side, the front of the house and the back of the house. So I offer them $100 a piece. I've already bought the materials, and I know that it's going to take them about an hour to do it, and I ask them if they want to make $100 each cash on their way home. So that I give them the address, and they come over, and I have the materials already on the job. They jump up there on their ladders, and they install it in about an hour or so. I give them $100, and instead of spending $800 for gutters and downspouts, since I took a little bit of initiative and went and bought these gutters and had them delivered on the, on the spot, then basically I just ended up saving about at least half the money uh, just because I took a little bit of initiative. Now, I did not end up having to know how to install gutters, so you don't have to worry about that. I didn't know. I didn't have to know anything more than just where I would go to find the people to put them up and where to buy them. And just a tip like that saves you, you know, 50% of, of the cost of, of basically putting up gutters and downspouts. And there's so many more ways that you can do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what do you think, Pete, of the um, the idea of using the installers that the companies provide uh, for, for instance it, very common with uh, uh, contractor carpet warehouses that they will install not, meaning not of course the the salespeople that they actually hire right. independent contractors to install the stuff uh, and and that's very common also with windows and and other sorts of materials you might buy you know what? I can I can get on board with that. I am not opposed to doing that at all. If you go to a place where they provide installers it, for the stuff that you buy, then they normally have you know some pretty good installers, and they 
they have a pretty good reputation with those. So, you know, if you're doing basically an all-in-one like that, I have no problem with doing that. And also, once you end up finding a contractor that's okay with what you're willing to pay and you're okay with the quality of work that they do, I want you to use the same contractors over and over and over again and, and really develop a good relationship with them. But there are some things that you need to do in order to make sure that you find good contractors right off the bat. Um, some of the things that I end up talking to people about is I make sure that if I don't already have a contractor in mind, I'm going to end up getting at least three bids for the same job because statistics will show that if you get three bids per S per deal that you need to, to get done, then you will get at least a 20% difference between the highest bid and the lowest bid. How many times, Vina, have you ended up getting three estimates or multiple estimates and there'd be thousands of dollars difference between your highest price and your lowest price? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just happens all the time. So basically what I do is I get the three prices and then I'm going to like him or her, one of these contractors, better than the other two. So I'll take the lowest cost that I got to the best contractor I felt comfortable with and ask them if they will meet or beat this price and then I'll consider them uh, uh, over the other two. So they normally will meet the lowest price in order to get the job. So therefore you create at least 20% off right there. You don't seem to real life real estate investing. We're talking today to Mr. Rehab, Pete Youngs, about rehabbing, hiring contractors. We can talk about specific rehab tips, whatever you like, if you give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or just send us an email. Go to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and talking today to Pete Youngs, also known as Mr. Rehab. Uh, we are taking your calls about any rehab questions that you might have, whether those be specific issues about property you're working on, or whether that be about hiring contractors, or dealing with budgets, or whatever you like at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You can send us an email, askvina at gmail.com, or by going to uh, just askvina.com. We are uh, focusing so far, Pete, really on the idea of of hiring contractors because that is a a big issue, big issue uh, with a lot of folks. Um, Gosh, I know I've done that myself on a number of different occasions even when I thought I had a contractor mm-hmm. and then after the third job he stopped showing up or wanted to blow my head off on the price or 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 so in the initial search for the rehabber you mentioned getting three bids you mentioned right. that that very often the the highest and lowest bids are significantly different is it always the best idea to take the lowest bid or i mean how do you how how do you handle that how do you know that the lowest bid isn't the guy who's going to do the shoddiest work well basically i get a gut feeling about the contractor themselves and i do check their references and one of their references that i i want people to check is their material supplier i want you to go ahead and ask them you know uh where do you get your materials from and they'll tell you and then i want you to call and and ask them uh, basically general questions like um, how long have they been doing business with you because like if, if somebody says yeah I've been doing business in the area for 10 years and you say okay well where do you get your materials from and you end up calling this material supplier and you say well how long have they been doing business with you and they say about three months 
then that's a red flag to me because being a contractor myself, though I may have many material suppliers, I use the same ones over and over and over and have for years. Uh, so, you know, anytime somebody says that they've been in the area for a number of years and they've only been buying materials from a company for a couple of months, that's a red flag. Why did they have to change material suppliers? So, you know, that's one of the best places that you can call for references. Um, and basically you ask them, you know, have they had any issues with payment problems? Um, basically, have you had any complaints against them um, and things of that nature? So that's one of the things that, that I like to check into. Um, as far as anything else, um, I like to end up using um, – I like to use retired people in a lot of situations, Vina, because, um, you know, let's think about – people that that are retired uh people that are retired could be ex home builders they could have been you know people that built houses they could have been architects they could have been brick masons plumbers painters electricians roofers you name it and and basically all of these people have great skills and they're all retired now and they're bored and they're looking for a little bit of extra cash and you know they they do skilled work now where would i find people like this well, it's, it's funny that I'm going to end up saying this, but, you know, I go to Veterans of Foreign Wars, Elks Clubs, Moose Lodges, bingo parlors, things of that nature, and during the day, and I just put up flyers and everything that, that says I'm looking for, uh, basically, let's say I was looking for a, a retired electrician uh, to put in ceiling fans or, or what have you. You know, they're, they're looking for 15 bucks an hour or so just to make a little bit of extra money, and they're bored. And so I can get skilled workers to, to end up coming out there, and they'll, they'll do a good job. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would be familiar with, with you know, permits and, and anything that might be necessary. So that's one of the things that I end up doing. Do you find that to be a reasonable idea? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the, the, other, the other big uh, question that, that you just sort of brought up has to do with permits and licensing and insurance. And the fact that, you know, guys who have no license and are uninsured and don't pull permits tend to be a lot cheaper than the ones that who is, do it right. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And you know what? A, a lot of times, you know, if if you end up going that route and you know it, then a lot of times that will come back to bite you. So, you know, if 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 there is something to be required, then, then I would say, you know, if it's required, then do it. Um, I tend to try and do that with everything that I that I do. Um I can end up finding these licensed people and everything, but, uh, you know, not everything requires a licensed contractor, and it does not require all the time that they be insured to do what it is. But if you're going to do that, then you want to use a liability waiver, and a liability waiver is something that a person will sign away their rights to sue you if they get hurt on your property. Okay, and normally you'd have to, you would want to get that, um, basically notarized. Now, here's how I end up doing that. I end up agreeing to do some some contract work with this person, and we do write a written contract and everything, even though they may not be licensed for what, and they don't need to be for what I'm hiring them for, but I will end up getting a written agreement because I always want a written agreement, and as part of their contractual agreement with me they're going to sign a liability waiver which basically ends up stating that if they were to get hurt on the job that they would hold me harmless and not responsible for that and 
normally what they want is they want some money up front. And so I say, okay, well, follow me to my bank and I'll cut you a check. The reason why I'm doing that is because when I get them to the bank, all the tellers behind the bank line there are notaries. And so I pull out my, my waiver of liability and I end up saying, okay, as part of our contractual agreement, um, before you before I can end up giving you this check, I need you to sign this paper that says that you won't sue me if you get hurt on the job. And so they look at the check, they look at the piece of paper, they sign the piece of paper, I hand it over to the bank teller and say, will you notarize this for me, please? She does, or he, and hands it back to me, and then I hand them the check and say, okay, will you notarize this check for these people? So do you see how that works? <laughs> and also what I do is I use the same situation for lien releases. The reason why I end up doing it with lien releases is because that way somebody cannot lien my property once they're finished with the job. Yeah, so now let's, if, let's, 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 let's describe what a, re, a lien release is because th that's where you hear a lot of horror stories is, you know, I, I, I didn't get a lien release, my contractor didn't pay his subs, uh, now I've got this you know, $10,000 lien against my property and I can't sell it, and, and th th let's talk about what those are. Okay. Now, a lien release is basically something that when you end up giving somebody some money, uh, let's say that you gave them $1,000, then you end up getting them to sign something that says that they are releasing this $1,000 from being able to be liened. All right, so for every time I write somebody a check, then they will end up giving me uh, a, a lien release and, and basically say that that, that money is, is done. Uh, let me give you an example here um, so I can get real particular, because I have my lien release right in front of me. It basically says, upon receipt of the undersigned of a check from Pete Young's in the sum of, let's say, $1,500 payable to uh, my contractor, and when the check has been properly endorsed and been paid by the bank upon which it's drawn, this document shall become effective to release any mechanics lien, stop notice, or bond right the undersigned has on the job of 123 Main Street. Um, this release covers the final payment to the undersigned for all labor, services, equipment, or material furnished on the job. And uh, before any recipient of this document relies on it, the party should verify evidence of payment to the undersigned. And then it has a place for me to sign and them to sign. And basically, they have endorsed this. And once the, the check is cashed at the bank, then this actual document becomes effective to release any mechanics liens. So uh, that's basically what I end up doing. Now, there's two different kinds. There's going to be one for when you're making payments. So that's just for the amount of check that you write, and let's say if it's $1,500 and you give them $500, then it releases $500, and there's 1,000 lienable left. So you end up giving them another 500 so that's 1,000 paid, only 500 lienable. And then this last one, when you give them the last of the $1,500, the last payment, then that's, this is the one that I just read. That's the one that you use, the one that says that once the check is cashed, then this, is, this becomes effective to release all mechanics liens, stop notice, or bond right. So uh, basically it's for the final payment for all labor services, equipment, and material. So that covers everything. So that means once they've signed this, then 
they, they have basically said, when I cash this check, you owe nothing for labor, services, equipment, or material. And that's important to list all of those because somebody might say, hey, well, you ended up paying for the labor, but you didn't pay for the materials. Or let's say that your contractor uh, has an account somewhere, and they ended up charging the materials to um, – some, let's say, a lumber store or, or a hardware store, and then they didn't pay for it, okay? you got to have something signed like this that says that you have, you have paid, and once they cash this check, they are guaranteeing that all labor, services, equipment, and material have been paid for. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the big important things about, about that. So, um, you know, the release of liability and everything – uh, when you end up having a release of liability, it basically ends up saying that, that they acknowledge that they do uh, release, acquit, satisfy, and forever discharge uh, me and or your listeners from any of all manner of actions, causes of actions, suits, covenants, contracts, controversies, agreements, promises, and claims. So, you know, it'll be something like that. Now, I had my lawyer uh, write these things up and everything, and they cost me, you know, about $500 a piece to do it, but you know what, the peace of mind that I've had over the years of using these, you know, any type of good written contract like that, uh, you know, Vina, the value of, of, of a good written contract and everything, especially when you can use it hundreds of times in your career, so it's, it's actually uh, a real good deal once you end up getting down to what it actually costs. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's really easy when you're running a rehab and you know you're over there every few days and stuff's going on and you got other stuff going on to to sort of miss crossing these T's and dotting these I's. Right. But your your system is of doing it in return for a check uh, is is a really good one because you know if you go back three weeks after the job's done and say to the contractor, oh by the way, I forgot to have you sign this lien release, you may never catch up with them. Right, and and so much can happen on the in between. So you you got to make it right there as, as part of your contractor agreement. And um, I would like to find out: uh, would it be all right with you, Vina, if I ended up just listing real quick um, the six things that I need your listeners to to put into a contractor agreement? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that right after the break, and let's invite right. listeners to give us a call at seven seven two nine six five eight eight seven seven. Seven seven two nine six five eight. If you're outside the greater Cincinnati area, or via email, askvina at gmail dot com. <laughs> 